Well, well guys, we are, uh, we've been talking about the call. We've been talking about the fact that every guy in this room has been called. Called of God. Get in the game. Move from the sidelines to a life of significance. But I think reality is there's a lot of guys in this room who don't believe that. Who really don't believe they've been called. Um, who think maybe the guy next to him is the one who's been called. You either don't think you're qualified, you don't think you have the gift sets, you haven't known the Lord long enough, you just don't feel called. As a matter of fact, I think what we think is that God only calls certain kinds of people. And it isn't us. He calls the gifted. He calls the talented. He calls the charismatic. He, he's called somebody, but he hasn't called you. And I, I want to challenge you this morning and throughout the next weeks is that he has called you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in him, he has called you. And it's not just to save you. He's called you for a purpose. But here's what we think. We think he's called Moses. You know, we read the Bible, go back to Exodus, and we read that, well, you know, obviously he called Moses. And he did great things through Moses. We move up the line, we think, okay, D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, great, great pastor up in Chicago. Well, he obviously was called because he was incredibly used of God. We look at Martin Luther, called of God, set, set in motion the Reformation. Obviously, his, the hand of God was on Martin Luther. He was called, but I'm not called. You move up to Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. And, uh, we named one of our kids after Hudson Taylor uh, because we had su- such an admiration for his life and ministry and what this man of faith did. Obviously called of God, used of God in an incredible way. Billy Graham, used of God, still being used of God in his upper 80s, still preaching, still sharing, still writing, called of God. If you've ever read his uh, biography, you, you just see the call of God on his life when he stepped out and answered that call and God used him. How about Bill Bright, no longer with us, but his ministry still having a tremendous impact through Campus Crusade for Christ, evangelism. Campus ministries all across the world. Obviously, a guy that was called. John MacArthur. Other pastors who are contemporary pastors in our country who are ministering and impacting lives through the radio and TV and through books and from the pulpit. Ted Kitchens. Called of God. Um, I've watched Ted over the last 30 plus years I've known him. And and the, the hand of God and the call of God is obviously on his life. He's called. How about Doug Cecil? (laughs) We affectionately call him Doug Wallace Cecil. I have to explain this this picture. Uh, I don't have to, but I'm going to. But Doug Doug has this uncanny way of of smiling and showing all his teeth. You know, he just. And one day, Cassie Kitchens, who works in our office, Ted's daughter, said, "You look like." Wallace. And I said, Wallace? And she goes, yeah, Wallace and Gromit. When he smiles like that, he looks like Wallace. Well, th- this, is, this is Wallace and Gromit. If you've never seen the claymation Wallace and Gromit, go get it. And you'll, I guarantee you'll think of Doug. But Doug is obviously called of God. Doug is a tremendous 
Uh, if you've heard him preach, he can, he can preach the Word of God. He's got a heart for people. He's got a passion for evangelism. He, he knows the Word of God. He loves to go to the hospitals. He loves to share with people. He's a chaplain. He, he's called of God. But the truth is, many of us are sitting out there thinking, you know, I'm not called. Why would God call me? I don't have the right gift sets. I don't have the, the charisma. I, I can't get up in front of people. I can't, I can't do what they do. But I want to challenge that. I want to challenge you, you to really think through, are you called? And I'm here to tell you, I believe from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head that every man in this room has been called to a special purpose by God, to accomplish things for God. And as I said last week, look across this room, and if you, if you see all of us getting a hold of that and realizing it and embracing it, what could we accomplish for the kingdom here on this earth in the, the years that we have left, however, however many they may be? Well, who does God call? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Does he only call the Billy Grahams? Does he only call Moses? Does he only call the Abrahams and the Peters and the Pauls, the Doug Cecils, the Ted Kitchens? Who does he call? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 is a, one of those passages. That I don't memorize passages like this because it hits too close to home. But listen to what Paul says. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians within the Corinthian church. And he says, brothers, these are believers. He says, think of what you were when you were called. Think about what you were when you were called. When Christ called you to himself, when, when you placed your faith in him, what were you? Now, I was seven. There wasn't much that I had done wrong at that point. But I caught up pretty quickly. But what were you when you were saved? Some of you were saved later in life, and you've got a pretty sordid track history behind you. What were you? It doesn't really matter if you were seven and fairly innocent, or 70, and anything but innocent. You were all these things. All these things. And let's look at them. Here's who he calls. He calls the not-so-wise. None of us are smart enough. None of us have what it takes. None of us have the right mental capacity to merit being called. I don't care how high your IQ is. Because Christ says he calls the not-so-wise. That word is sophos. It means the wise, the skilled in letters, cultivated, learned. He says none of you were that. Does this mean they're all idiots? They're all just kind of low IQ? No. It means that God calls you and you don't have anything to offer at that point. You don't have the wisdom. No matter how smart you are, you don't have enough smarts to merit being called. It's not the wise that he calls. It's the uninfluential. You know, we tend to think the, the called are those guys that are really movers and shakers. And they're, man, they can influence people and they can persuade people. And no, Paul says, none of you were influential. That word means mighty and wealth and influence. You know, the, the people have the bucks and they can make things happen. And, 
and they've got the influence and they know everybody in town. You know, that's who we put on our committees. But that's not who God calls necessarily. Because again, he doesn't need your money and he doesn't need your influence. He just needs you. So he doesn't call the wise. He doesn't call the influential. He doesn't call the noble. He calls the non-noble. The word noble there is well-born and of a noble family. You know, the, the true bloods, the, the rich and famous. The, he doesn't call those. He doesn't look for them. You know, I've all, I, I use this phrase a lot, but if I were God and I had sent my son into the world, I'd have done it completely differently and I'd have gone to a completely different set of people. I wouldn't have gone to the peasants. I wouldn't have gone to the poor. I'd have gone to the influential. Why? Because if you can reach the influential, you'll, you'll get the peasants. But see, God didn't do it that way. He reversed everything. And Paul says, he didn't call the noble. He calls the non-noble, the non-influential, the people who don't have a lot to offer. He says he calls the really foolish. This one kind of hits close to home. That word is morose. It's silly, stupid, foolish. It's where we get the word moron. That's who God calls. I hate to tell you that, guys, but you're called. This is you. We're the foolish. We're the silly, the stupid. Because without Christ, that's what every man and every woman alive is. Stupid, foolish, silly. That's who he calls. Well, he also calls the very weak. And see, this man, this one goes against everything in our fiber as men, doesn't it? We hate to be weak. The word there is weak and firm and feeble. Not just physically, but spiritually weak, emotionally weak, mentally weak. That's who he calls. He doesn't call the guys who are just the, the movers and shakers. If you go back and look at all the pictures we put up there, including Moses, including Ted, including Doug Cecil, every one of those guys was probably weak in so many ways, non-influential, weren't born into wealthy families, were not influential, weren't great speakers when they came out of the womb. But God called them and then God transformed them. He also says he calls the disappointingly lowly. The word there has to do with those who don't live up to the expectation of their stock. You know, that they, they don't quite measure up. You're not as good as you should be. That's who he calls, guys. And it, it includes every man in this room. So if we sit back and we say, well, you know, man, I don't feel called. I don't measure up. Good. You don't need to measure up. You don't need to bring anything to the table. You don't have to have any special skill sets. You don't have to have any talents and abilities that God's, you know, God's not looking around for special talented people. He seems to overlook them. And he looks for those who just say, you know, I don't have much. He looks for the Davids who have, you know, I got five smooth stones. That's all I got. He looks for the little kid in the crowd who's got the, the loaves and fishes. That's who he uses. And he can use any one of us in this room. He looks at the overly despised, the ones who are rejected, the ones who are scorned, the ones who are looked down on. So again, there's hope for you and I in this room. We're called 
And he can use any one of us. Matter of fact, he ends this segment in 1 Corinthians with, he, he calls the nobodies. The phrase there is the things that are not. And it really has to do with us, the nobodies. Those who are regarded as nothing. You know, I challenge you to, if, if you're going to form a committee here at the church, and you're going to get together a group of men to accomplish some task, some great task, the tendency will be to look for men who have all the qualities opposite of what we just looked at. You're going to look for the influential movers and shakers, the businessmen, the successful guys, the guys who are really uh, innovative, the guys who are movers and shakers, the guys who are charismatic. That's who we tend to look to. And we look past so many people who don't fit the mold, who are prayer warriors, who are people who maybe don't have a whole lot to offer, men who just maybe look weak, maybe are quiet, but they have an incredible relationship with the Lord. This is who he calls. But the real question is why? Why does he call those kind of people? Well, it's a really interesting answer. He says, so that no one can boast before him. See, if he, if he calls me because I'm really gifted and talented, guess who's going to get the big head? Me. Man, look at me. Look at what I have to offer. Look how good I am. Look at, look at all the skills I bring to the table. You know, God can't do this without me. No, he doesn't want anybody to boast. I love the way the message says it. That none of us, none of you, can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Can I give you a warning? Don't blow your horn before God. God doesn't need you, and God doesn't need me. But for some unknown, mysterious reason, He chooses to use you and me. But the second I get cocky and I think God can't live without me, I better watch out. This ministry does not need me. I could walk off this platform, walk into the parking lot, and get hit by a car. And it's okay. This ministry will go on because it's not my ministry. This is all about him. He doesn't want you to get the honor. He doesn't want me to get the honor. So what does he do? He goes out and he chooses from among us the weak, the lowly, the non-noble, the uninfluential, he chooses us. And none of us have a right to brag. If God is using you, you don't have a right to brag. I don't have a right to brag because it's all about him. So what does he call us to do? This is the real question. If we're going to get in the game, if we're going to do something of significance, what's he calling you to do? And this is real interesting as I thought about it this week. A lot of us are asking that question. Here's what we say. God, God, what do you want me to do? Some of you are saying, well, I don't even want to ask that question because I don't want to know. I don't want to know what God wants me to do because he may tell me. And then I'm going to have to either obey him or disobey him. But some of you are saying, okay, I get the point. I get the picture. I'm supposed to get in the game. What do you want me to do? Legitimate question. But see, when you ask that question, you're focusing on the calling. What do you want me to do, God? And see, that's the way we're wired as men, isn't it? You know, just tell me what you want me to do. Just give me the list and I'll do it. 
You know, every Saturday morning, my wife has a, a honey-do list, you know, things she wants me to do. And it never matches what I had planned for the day. Is that, is that just true in my home? You know, I wake up and I think, this is the one day I don't have to do anything, but, you know, what I want to do, and she's got a list. But I'll look at the list, and I'll accomplish the list. I'll work my way through it. Just tell me what you want done, and I'll get it done. We focus on the calling. We think about the task. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? Just tell me what you want me to do. And we almost say it in that term. Just tell me and I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. Just so I can get that off my, my list. We say, you know, tell me what my role is and tell me what my responsibilities will be. Tell me what you want me to do. And again, those are legitimate questions, but the focus is off. The focus is off. Because God's focus is on the caller. See, we focus on the calling. He's focusing on, hey, I'm calling you to me. I'm calling you to a relationship with me. When Jesus Christ saved you, what was he calling you to? Heaven? No. Because you're not in heaven, are you? He's calling you to a relationship with him. But see, we want to go right past and say, okay, what do you want me to do? What can I do? Where can I serve? What can I? And guys, I want you to serve and I want you to be about your calling, but don't miss the step of the caller. He's calling you to himself. Oz Guinness in his book, The Call, which I'm going to reference on uh, numerous occasions, he says, neither work nor career can be fully satisfying without a deeper sense of calling. But calling itself is empty and indistinguishable from work Unless there is someone who calls. There's got to be somebody calling. There's got to be somebody issuing the call. And what he's saying is, I want you to get to know me. But many of us, we're going to make the mistake. You could go through this whole series, walk out of here and say, okay, I get the point. I'm going to start serving. And we start serving and serving and serving. And we're serving on this committee and that committee. And we're going to this mission place. And we're serving in a soup kitchen. And we're just serving and But guess what we missed? The caller. And what happens when you do that? You will burn out and you'll stop serving because you missed the point. Because, you know, God doesn't need you to serve. Does God need you to feed the hungry? He tells us that he takes care of the the birds in the field. He feeds them. He makes sure their eggs hatch on time. He makes sure the seasons happen. Does God need me to do these things? No. That's not the point. It's to get to know Him. And as we get to know Him, He uses us in the lives of others. So don't blow past the caller and go right to the calling. Oswald Chambers says in the same point, Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. You catch that? The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. You ever been too busy to have a quiet time? You ever been too busy serving God to spend any time praying with him? You know, we we met this morning, a group of us who, uh, the table shepherds, we met for prayer before we came in. 
you know, I've, I've been doing this seven, eight years now, and we used to do it religiously. Every Wednesday morning, we'd meet over there, and before everybody got here, we'd pray. Guess what happened? Over time, we got too busy. Because we got to set the tables up. we got to get everything ready. Everything's got to be perfect. We've got to make the coffee ready. We gotta... And we stopped praying. See, we got too busy serving God to spend time with God. You can't miss the server. He goes on and says, The one aim of the call of God is the satisfaction of God, not a call to do something for Him. I want you to hear that loud and clear this morning. I am not calling a group of men to just go get busy. Do I want you to get out from around the tables and go impact the world for Jesus Christ, impact your home, impact your kids, impact your community, impact this church, impact the city? Yes. But if that's all we attempt to do and you miss the caller in the process, you know what we'll accomplish? Nothing. Because it'll all be in the flesh. It'll all be manufactured by you and it will not have the blessing of God. And you and I will miss the joy of getting to know God in the process. See, we, we, you and I put our emphasis on service. Service. It's all about service, you know. We just got to go serve. We put our emphasis on celebrating usefulness. I want to be useful. I want to have a reason. I want to be... I want to have an impact. And that's great. That's wonderful. We admire productivity. You know, there's a a phrase I heard not long ago. If you want to get something done, ask a busy person. You know, find somebody who's always busy and doing a lot of things. And if you want it done, give it to them because they'll typically get it done. Don't give it to the non-busy person. They're not busy for a reason. See, we celebrate productivity. We we populate our committees and our our staffs and with, with who? The busy. That's why 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people in a typical church. And we keep going back to the same well over and over again. And we wear these people out. Because we admire productivity. But we are not called to work. We're called to God. This whole idea of calling is really interesting. Because as soon as I, I say the phrase that you are called, many of us bristle and go, oh, one more thing to do. I don't have any more time in my day. I don't have any more energy in my tank. I just can't take on one more thing. I don't want you to take on one more thing. I want you to understand that you are called to a relationship with Jesus Christ and His Heavenly Father. That's where it starts. That's where it begins for me and it begins for you. Oswald Chambers goes on and says, The men and women our Lord sends out on his enterprises, things that he wants done, are the ordinary human stuff, plus dominating devotion to himself wrought by the Holy Spirit. See, the people God chooses, the God that God calls and he sends out, are the ones who are ordinary, first and foremost. They're not extraordinary. They don't have great gift sets. They're ordinary human beings. But they are dominated by a devotion to Him. And they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's who He sends out. That's who He gives His work to. Again, you go back and you study the lives of Bill Bright, Billy Graham, uh, John MacArthur. All of these men and women who are being used of God fit this criteria. They're ordinary, but they are devoted to Him. And they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they're accomplishing great things 
not because of them, but because of him. Have you guys ever asked yourself the question, who me? You know, somebody asks you to do something and you go, you want me to do that? You know, if you're like me, you have asked that question. And, and here's, here's the way it comes out. Me lead a small group. You know, we're getting ready to do the fall campaign starting Sunday, and we've been trying to promote for uh, small group posts. And I can't tell you how many times I've had that. You want me to lead a small group? Yeah, I really do. You have a house? Well, yeah. Okay, I want you to lead a small group. But I don't know how. Well, that's okay. We'll show you how. But me lead a small group. Me teach a children's Sunday school class. I mean, you ask a you know 45-year-old grown man to do that, and they panic. It's like, hey, five-year-olds? What do I do with them? Well, just... Hang out with them. You don't, you don't have to be, have the wisdom of Solomon. Just be with them. But me do that? I don't think I can. How about this one? Me serving the parking posse? They get honked at and yelled at and, you know, people swerve at me and sometimes people cuss at me. That actually happens. I mean, here at church, people get angry and swerve at our parking posse. Me serving the parking posse? I'm a busy business executive. I'm not going to do that. Heck, we've got bank presidents serving on the parking posse. But me do that? No, nah, not me. Me shepherd a table of guys on Wednesday morning? I, I, don't, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not good enough to do that. Me mentor a younger man? man. You know, we have a mentoring uh, program here for men. You know, one of the hardest challenges we have is to get older men to mentor younger men. I don't have anything to offer. I, man, I've screwed up my marriage. I've screwed up my business. I've screwed up my kids. I'm like, Good. You'll, you'll teach him what not to do. Me mentor, me, me help. Nah, it's, it's not for me. Me go on a short-term missions trip to Tajikistan. You know, if David Breedlove walked up to you today and said, hey, we got another trip planned in August. Would, you want to go? Up in the mountains, hiking, you know, backpacks, 60-pound backpacks, you know, middle of nowhere. You don't speak the language. Most of us would go, Me? I can't even spell Tajikistan. No, I, no, not me. Why me? Who me? You know, me serve at Union Gospel Mission, serve on a soup line, me? No, that's just not for me. You know what? You're not alone. Because if you continue the story you just read, those first 10 verses and take it to verse 11, here's what Moses said. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who, me? You want me to do what? You talking to me, God? You know, is there somebody else? You... Yeah, I'm talking to you. But he couldn't believe that God was talking to him. And this is the beginning of a line of excuses that Moses is going to give God. And he is, you know, Moses is known for his, his excuses to God. You know, he just has the unhappy state of having his life put in print. You and I don't. But I guarantee you, I've given God so many great excuses over the years for things he's called me to do. Look at, look at what Moses said. First of all, he says, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't have the answers. Verse 13, chapter 3, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I'm going to say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they're going to say to me, Well, what's his name? What, what do I tell them? What, what do I tell them when they ask me these difficult questions? I don't know what to say. I don't have all the answers. Good. You don't have to have all the answers. This is really just a fear of failure. He fears failing. He fears, man, they're going to ask me questions. I don't even know your name. 
So they're going to follow me when I don't even know your name? No, this has failure written all over it, and I've already failed several times in my life. Not interested. How about this one? Nobody's going to listen to me. Verse 1 of chapter 4. What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Man, wouldn't you hate that? Yeah, you go back into town and you gather all the Israelites and you say, hey, God's called me. He's told me he's going to deliver you. And they all just kind of laugh in your face and say, you're an idiot. Let's talk about the guy you murdered. Let's talk about, you know, the way you fled. You're, you're, you know, you're a felon. Why should we listen to you? They're not going to listen to me, God. This is a fear of man. And boy, it's rampant among many of us. We fear men. We fear their rejection. We fear that they're going to not listen to us. They're going to look down on us. They're going to laugh at us. They're going to ridicule us. And guess what? All of that happened to Moses. His worst fears came true. But that's okay. He survived. His third one was, I don't have what it takes. That's probably the most common one among most of us is, I just don't, I'm not your guy. I don't have what it takes. He says, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. Not even since the 10 minutes ago when you talked to me. I'm still not eloquent. He's pretty eloquent here. You know, he, he's, he's pretty good at debating. He says, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. This is really a fear of exposure. That people are going to see the real you. That, you know, you really don't have a whole lot to offer. You really aren't that eloquent. You really aren't that great a speaker. You really aren't that gifted. Right. That's okay. Well, he's not done. He says, send somebody else. Man, this is where we always take it, isn't it? Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. I don't really care. Just find a warm body. Send them. Send somebody else. This is a fear of responsibility. I don't want that responsibility on my shoulders. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to be responsible for a room full of three-year-old little kids. I don't want to be responsible for a table of guys. I don't want to be responsible for... Send somebody else. And in a church this size, what we all assume is somebody will do it. Somebody's down there serving at Union Gospel Mission. Somebody's doing X. Somebody's doing... Send somebody else. One of the key key things about this whole story of Moses that I've never really seen before is that Moses was called by someone. See, I tend to focus on what he was called to. Go back to Exodus or go back to Egypt and help the people get out. Do all these great miracles and everything. But he was called by someone. He was called by the covenant God. If you go back and look at these verses... Here's what God says. He goes, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He tells him, I'm the covenant keeping God. God made his covenant with every one of these men over the years. He reaffirmed his covenant with each of them. He says, I'm the covenant God. I've got a plan. I'm eternal. I've been since Abraham. I've been before Abraham. I am here and I've got a plan and I am to be worshiped. What did he tell them to do? I want you to take off the sandals from your feet. I want you to come in here because this is holy ground in front of that burning bush. I want you to worship me and I want you to fear me for who I am. He says, I am the covenant God. Fear me. Worship me. He's the faithful God. He says in Exodus 3, 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've looked, I've seen, I know what's going on. I know the oppression. And I have given heed to their cry because they're taskmasters. I am aware of their sufferings. 
I am a faithful God. I haven't forgotten. It's been 400 years. I haven't forgotten. I know how they got here. I sent them there. And I know what's going on. I'm faithful. I never forget my own. I'm never surprised by their circumstances. I use the phrase all the time. God is not up in heaven wringing his hands going, what in the world happened? You ever think about that? You know, something happens in your life, you're going, God, what are you doing? Were you asleep at the wheel? Did you, did you get busy helping somebody else? No, God's up there and he's just totally calm and he knows exactly what's going on. He is aware of our sufferings. See, he's saying, Moses, hey, get to know me. I'm the covenant God. I'm the faithful God. Get to know me first. He hadn't told him what he's going to send him to do yet. He's saying, get to know me. I am compassionate and I'm caring. I've seen their suffering and I'm going to do something about it. And then he's the deliverer God. He tells Moses, I've come down and I'm going to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. At this point, I think Moses is going, great. Good news, God. You've come down. You're going to deliver the people of Israel. Go for it. I'm going to stay here and shepherd the sheep and I'll watch from a distance. And I'm going to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver. What Moses didn't know is he's going to do it through him. God never fails to act, even if it appears as if he has delayed. 400 years, guys, he has waited. But he's going to act. And his timing is always perfect. And his plan includes our good and his glory every single time. No matter what's going on in my life and in your life. So he's called by someone. He's called by God. And then he calls him to something. See, Moses had a plan for Mo- God had a plan for Moses. He was going to give his life purpose for once in his life. He says, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. This is where it gets sticky. I'm God. Get to know me. Here's what I want you to do now. I've got a plan for you. See, Moses had spent 40 plus years as a shepherd. That was his profession. That was his job. That was his occupation. Now he's going to become a deliverer. Major change. Major difference. And he's in his 80s. It's not too late for any of us. God was going to give him a whole new role. Guys, we're going to skip this discussion this morning. We're running behind. I'm sorry, but I want to just get through here. God can use anybody, guys. Don't look at Moses and think he was some special superhuman. He was a felon and a murderer. He had killed an Egyptian 40 years earlier and had to flee Egypt because of it. He had baggage. He had really been hiding out for 40 years, hiding because of what he had done. Knew he had God's call upon him. I think he knew the minute he killed the Egyptian, what he was supposed to be doing. He knew he was to help deliver the Egyptians, deliver the Israelites. He just did it in the wrong way in the wrong time. But guys, his past didn't disqualify him. Some of you guys have a sordid past. You've made some huge mistakes. It does not disqualify you. I don't care what you've done. This was an 80-year-old man who had spent years living in the middle of nowhere. But guess what? His age didn't disqualify him. I don't care how young you are how old you are. It does not disqualify you. He was lacking in talent and the tools for the job. He even admitted it. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I'm tongue-tied. 
But his deficiencies didn't disqualify him. They didn't disqualify him. There's not a man in this room who's disqualified from being used by God. He was a shepherd. One of the lowest jobs you could have. And yet that didn't disqualify him. His occupation didn't disqualify him. Some of you may be sitting out there going, you know, man. I'm a bricklayer. I'm a, I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm a baker. I'm a, you know, I'm a lawyer. Even that doesn't disqualify you. His occupation doesn't disqualify him. He was full of fear. You know, it's obvious when you read the story, he's full of fear. But his lack of faith, which is what's really behind all fear, didn't disqualify him. You and I are fearful all the time. We're fearful of doing all kinds of things, but it doesn't disqualify us. Because you see, guys, I'll wrap it up with this. It's not about you. This is not about you. This is not about me. It's about him, God. It's about what he can do. See, God is calling you. God is calling you. God is calling me. And he wants you to get to know him. He's saying, hey, Ken, hey, Mike, hey, whatever your name is, I just want to get to know you. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to, I want you to watch me work through you. And man, there is nothing more exciting than to see God work through me. Because it blows me away that if God can use me, he can use anybody. He can use anybody. He wants you to witness his power. You know, over in Second uh, Corinthians 4, 7, it says, we have this treasure, the gospel in earthen vessels. Why? So that the surpassing power of God might be revealed through us. See, he puts it in this so that when something great happens, it has to be of God. Because it ain't this. It's the surpassing power of God in me and in you. He wants us to experience his presence every single day. So when you do go and serve and you're able to do something that you never thought you could do, you have to say, that was God and he was with me. And he wants you to enjoy his blessing. His blessing. Os Guinness, I'll close with this. He says, we are not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. See, that's our greatest fear. Oh, God's going to call me to the mission field. God's going to call me to Tajikistan. I don't even know where it is. I just know I don't want to go there. If it's got a stand on the end, I don't want to go there. See, we fear that. He said, but that's not the primary thing. We are called to someone, God himself. We are not called first to special work, but to God. The key to answering the call is to be devoted to no one and to nothing above God himself. Nothing or no one but to God himself. Don't be devoted to your ear. Don't be devoted to service in the church. Be devoted to God first and then just let him begin to reveal to you, hey, this is where I want you to step out. This is where I want you to make a difference. And he'll show you. He'll show you. But get to know him. Get to know the caller. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, that you have called every man in this room. But you've called us to a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. You want us to get to know your power, your love, your mercy, your compassion, your faithfulness. That we can trust you. That you are powerful and can accomplish incredible things in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our community, in this church. You want us to get to know you. And all throughout the Old Testament you say... 
that they may know that I am the Lord. That's what you want us to know today. And the only reason you give us assignments is so that we can see you work through us and trust you more. Father, there's some guys in this room who are doing nothing. I pray that they would get to know you and then get involved in your kingdom work. There's many of us, Father, who are doing too much in our own strength. And we've forgotten you, that it's about you. Help us to slow down, reevaluate, and rethink our commitments. That our primary devotion would not be to service and work and effort and task, but a relationship with you. Father, bless these men. Bless their day. Challenge them, change them, motivate them, and take them out into the world and show them your power this week through them. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son our Savior, and our coming King.